Good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. Ephesians 5. Let's go there if you have your uh, Bible apps with you uh, or your Bibles. I'm going to do Ephesians 5, 21 to 27. So you all can read along with me if you'd like. It says this. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. All right. All right, so my childhood friend, Charlie Vulo. Good kid. Really good guy. But uh, I was three years older, and I was mean, and so I used to play this game called Submission. And uh, I'd be like, Charlie... I'm going to put you in a headlock, and you have to submit. That was the game. And so I would put him in a headlock, and I'd be like, submit, submit. And to his credit, Charlie never submitted. Um, but, but, you know, it was just me, like, it was the wrestling moves that I was watching on TV. And when I found out last year that it was all fake, I felt really bad for Charlie Vulo. Um, submission, though, I think at an early, early age, we understand really well what that means, right? We understand that submission means that there's a hierarchy. And there are people who are in power, and then there are people <clears throat> who have less power. And we figure that out enough that it take, it's part of our childhood games, right? That's, that's what we figure out. Uh, and then Paul says, uh, wives, submit to your husbands, and use that word submit, which automatically in our minds creates a hierarchy. All right? Automatically, it's husbands who are men, have more power, are, are on a higher level than, than women. That's, that's where our minds go. That's way more serious than playing submit with your friend, right? What do we do with something like that? Uh, I think uh, the fact that we are a quote-unquote Christian nation, I think what we've done is we've looked at this scripture, and what we've done is we've said, uh, okay, so there's an absolute hierarchy that's happening uh, within America at this, uh, at this time and in, in times past, right? And so uh, there's a reason that women only make 70, 78 cents for every dollar a man makes. Uh, there's a reason uh, that we can count on one hand the number of Fortune 500 CEOs that are women. Uh, and there's a reason that in our churches, uh, out of the 100 largest churches in America, 99 are run by men, and we... We can't, you know, we got to call it what it is. And here I am, a man who leads a church, right? We've done this because we have all these passages in Scripture about women submitting to men. This is what we have. And in fact, what are we supposed to do with something like this? Because when we read it, it feels pretty clear and feels pretty obvious. Um, I have a super short attention span, so I was on Twitter while I was writing this message. (laughs) And (laughs) the Holy Spirit was upon Twitter because a woman wrote... um, A woman wrote, uh, when I read this passage in Ephesians, um, uh, I I don't think it's bad news because I get to be my husband's helper. And and what that made me think is it made me think, well, here we have the infinite and unimaginable God who loves us more than we can even imagine, who I often say doesn't exist but is the ground of all existence, like that big, unfathomable, and that God creates us in God's own image, and yet that God would create some of us in God's own image in such a way that we're limited in the way that we can flourish doesn't necessarily add up. That limits God. Why does the scripture then say, wives, submit to your husbands? Well, here's what I want to do today. I want to rescue this word submission. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Paul here, who was like the first missionary of the church. Paul's writing a letter to the people of Ephesus. And what I'm going to tell you is that this letter is by far the most progressive, ridiculous thing that Paul has ever written to the people in Ephesus. In fact, it's so progressive that after writing this, Wives, Submit to Your Husband's Peace, uh, I would dare say that Paul was probably called a heretic because of it. That's how deeply uh, progressive and radical this is. 
Do y'all believe that? Y'all are quiet. (laughs) So how do we do this? How do we rescue a passage like this? Well, here's what I'm going to do. I want us to talk about the Greco-Roman lifestyle. I want to jump into some of the history. So do y'all want to jump into history with me or not? That was a little bit better. Good, good. And so what we need to do, first and foremost, is right away, we need to take out of our minds anything that we've been taught about the American household, okay? Uh, there was the, the narrative that, you know, it was the husband and the wife and 2.4 kids and a picket fence, right? Throw that away completely. Paul would have never had any clue as to what that meant or what that looked like. Uh, and now, I, you know, in the 21st century, we have two moms or we have two dads, but we still have, like, the house in Maplewood, New Jersey or wherever, right? And we need to throw that away, too, because Paul has zero idea of what that looks and feels like. Paul had no framework for that. So what is the framework from which Paul is speaking? So what I need you to imagine when Paul talks about family or when Paul talks about household is that I need you to imagine a factory. Can we do that? A small business? Because that is what Paul is looking at. Paul's looking at people who, who lived and worked all together. You had a small factory. It's where you lived and it's where you worked. So not only was a husband and wife and kids there, but you also had your extended family there. Let's say, for instance, they were making cloth. You had your extended family because your family were known as cloth makers. So your parents, your aunts, your uncles, your, your cousins, all those people would also live with you. Okay? Uh, not only that, but then all your artisans and all the people who helped make cloth, they were also living with you. And not only that, but then you had, um, in some cases, mistresses and concubines and slaves, and they were also living with you. So your house probably had somewhere between 50 and 60 people in it, all right? Be good? That's, that's, that's what our house looked like. That's what a family looked like. Now, uh, like I said, you had all these people living there. They're all making certain things. Your business and your, uh, and your personal life sort of meshed together. And, and what you had is you had a husband and a wife. Now, what we have to understand about the wife in Greco-Roman culture is that the wife was purely transactional. That's it. They didn't meet on match. They didn't, like, woo each other. There was no, like, oh, let's go on a vacation to see if we're compatible. No, nothing like that. It was purely transaction. It was, it was here you are, I'm making a transaction, and the wife is going to bear me children. That's it. Usually the husband was maybe in his 30s, and the wife was probably uh, about 15 years younger. And in fact, this was so prevalent and so well known that the Greek writer Desmothenes says this. He says, mistresses, we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the daily care of the body, but wives to bear us legitimate children. Do we see the role that the wives played in Ephesus? Now, in Ephesus, Paul is writing specifically to the paterfamilias. The paterfamilias would have been a man who was in charge of this whole factory, this whole business, or this whole household, whatever you want to call it. Um, Were there women who were in charge of households? Yes, there were. If we look in the book of Romans, we'll see them. It's pretty impressive. But Paul's not writing to Rome. Paul's writing to Ephesus, where we think there's probably not too many women who ran households. It's like, you know, I'm not going to write people in Canton, Ohio, and tell them about the Q train. Right? I'm not going to do that. Like, Paul's not going to write people in Ephesus and tell them about something going on at Rome. We, again, we have to be specific about what we're reading here. And I say this all the time. By the way, this is a sidebar. I say this all the time. Um, uh, we take the Bible so seriously that we can't always take it literally, right? We can't always just look at words on a page and say, oh my goodness, this is it for all time. Because Paul's talking to a very specific group of people. All right, so let's continue. So, This wife, who was merely a transaction, never spent any time with her husband. She probably had no no say in how business went down or how anything else went down. And in fact, the wife wasn't even allowed to eat at the same table as her husband. That was just the bottom line. The table in this household was the great equalizer. 
If you were sitting at the table with the paterfamilias, if you're sitting at the table with that person, that meant that you were on equal plane, equal term, equal uh, humanity with that person. So what would usually happen is that the husband, the paterfamilias, would sit down with all the people that he, all the men, I should say, that he worked with, and once they were all done eating and they you know, were, were talking whatever they needed to talk about, then the women could come in and the women ate with the children at a table. And then after that, the slaves would come in and the slaves would eat at a table. The table was the great equalizer. It was the place where, where hierarchy where it was established, where submission was established. And so if you weren't eating at the table with the paterfamilias, you were on a lower level. You must submit. All right, we following along? Everybody got it? This feels more like a college lecture a little bit. Um, I feel you. Uh, so anyway, Paul comes around and he says, okay, paterfamilias, the, the heads of the household in Ephesus, you're now Christians. You are now Christ followers, okay? And so things are going to look very different for you as Christ followers than what the rest of Ephesus is doing. It's going to look incredibly different, so let's read it again, right? Uh, and I want to jump all the way back to Ephesians 5. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what he's saying is, again, another way of saying submit to one another because Christ submitted to you in Christ's death and resurrection. Submit to one another. Do this, okay? And so then he, he goes on. Wives, submit to your husbands. Wives would have been like, I've done that already. I get it. But Paul says, don't do it because that's the paterfamilias. Don't do it because that's your husband. Do it because Christ did it for you first. Now, here's the last thing I'll say about this household. Whoever the husband worshipped, the rest of the household had to worship the 50 or 60 people or whatever that were living there. So when, 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 when Paul is talking to the paterfamilias, he's saying, you know, you've decided to worship Christ, which means your entire household is worshiping Christ, which means everything's going to look different. Wives, submit to your husbands because of Christ. But what he leaves out here and what he could have written is, oh, don't just submit to your husband, but submit to everybody in your household because everybody in the household is also going to submit to you. There's going to be mutual submission because this is what we see in Christ with love and the death and the resurrection. So now let's look at what, look, look, look at what um, Paul says about, uh, about what husbands should do. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What's another way of saying gave himself up for her? Submit. Okay? Submit to your wife. Now, I just went through the whole cultural thing, right? Now, now the wife isn't just a transaction who, who you, may, you, know, you barely see. Now the wife is a partner. Now the wife has equal say in the way that you run your business. Now the wife has equal say as being head of the household. Now the wife uh, uh, is brought to the same table as her husband. The wife becomes the great equalizer. What Paul is asking for is Paul is asking for husbands to have their wives become the great equalizer. They are now on the same plane, the same page, doing the same stuff. There's no one over the other. There's no hierarchy. They're submitting to one another. Do we get that? That is ridiculous. Because imagine you own another business, and you have your 50 or 60 people, and you're walking along, and you're like, look at that person. That person's wife is eating at the same table with him? What's... The slaves are eating at the same table with them because they're all submitting to one another. The children are eating at the same table. That business is not going to do well, right? That's something you might say. Who do they think they are to mess with a hierarchy like this? Who do they think they are to mess with systems? They're messing with the systems that we've had in place for hundreds, if not thousands of years. How dare they mess with systems like that? That's how radical it is. Paul, don't you know the Jewish law? Jewish law says that the hierarchy should be in place. People should submit to one another. And Paul says, no, 
No, no, the hierarchy is done. Everybody's invited to the table because that's what Jesus Christ asked of us. I love what Gordon Fee says. He's a, he's a, a professor who specializes in Greco-Roman, uh, Greco-Roman uh, lifestyle, culture, context. And he says, no wonder the world had such difficulty with these early Christians and why they were considered to be haters of humanity because they so willingly broke the rules, not by tearing down structures, but by making them ultimately irrelevant. What makes our text so radically countercultural lies in Paul's urging those who are filled with the Spirit and worship Christ as Lord to have totally transformed relationships within the household. People are greatly to be feared as the worst of all possible anarchists. That's some strong language right there. Paul is saying, you know what? Submission, it happens to one another. Why does it happen for one another? Because you're all on the same playing field. Because you're all equal. Because you're doing it because it's Christ who submitted to you. It's Christ who said, you know what? I love you so much that I'm going I'm I'm to come to this place. I'm going to walk with you in all the brokenness and all the pain and all the suffering. I'm going to submit to that. I'm going to say things like, blessed are the poor and blessed are the persecuted. And you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope and the last shall be first and the first shall be last. I'm going to say that. I'm going to sit at a table with sinners. All the times the Pharisees go, oh, he, he eats with sinners. Yeah, he, the great equalizer, right? He's sitting there with them to bring them to a place where they are now lifted up on the same level. I'm going to do all that to the point of death to show you how much I love you. So because I did that, do that for each other. Do it out of thankfulness. Do it because we're absolutely, positively changing systems. All right, I told you this passage was kind of radical, right? So what happened? Well, Christians started getting persecuted because how dare they mess with systems like that. Christians started dying because how dare they tell everybody that they're equal. It's ridiculous. Create equity for everybody. And yet here we are 2,000 years later and how much has changed? What are we doing to break down systems? Because there are people here who identify as being less than. People here who identify as having to submit, right? And then there's mediocre white men who've never had to do that before, right? One of them's on stage. (laughs) No. Um. (laughs) So what do we do? As a church, what do we do? As a community, what do we do? we're in our Her Story series, so we're talking specifically to women. And I've said this almost every time I spoke up uh, in this Her Story series, almost every single time, men, especially men who have withheld power, right? Men who have had power and privilege and, and have used it in ways that we've created a hierarchy, have created submission. I'm sorry. It's okay to keep saying, I repent of that. And it's okay to keep repenting, men, especially men in power. It's okay to keep saying, you know what, we need to make this right. We need to change our minds. And we're sorry about this. What we want to do is we want to live out Paul's commandment to submit to one another. How do we do that? Um, If you know me, you know I don't like to use a whole lot of Christianese, but I'm going to do it today. Um, So I have a friend, a pastor friend, he always prays, Lord, uh, allow me to decrease so that your ways might increase. And I love that. (laughs) I absolutely love it. Lord, allow me uh, to decrease so that your ways might increase, so that those people in power allow me to decrease. That's what submission looks like, so that others who who don't have the same power may increase. That's the good news of the gospel message, which means we're not asking the question, hey, uh, who's in charge, or who do I talk to, or who has the power? We're asking, who doesn't have a seat at the table? That's the question we start asking. And then we start saying, okay, so-and-so, they don't have a seat at the table. Let's get a seat at the table for them. Let's make that happen. Those are the new ways we live out that gospel. That's how it works. And so I, I know there's some scary things, again, back on Twitter. There's a lot of scary things on Twitter if you're ever on it. Um, 
But you know, one of the big things that I've been reading about is reparations and, and how people of color, especially people who are enslaved, are saying, why not reparations? And the outrage on Twitter is ridiculous. And really, if I'm to read my scriptures according to culture and context, then things like reparations are absolutely appropriate, are absolutely appropriate for us to say, hey, I must decrease so that others may increase. That feels like socialism, but it's the gospel message. I think there are people who identify as other and they have been hurt and beat up and broken and it's time for us to step up and say, no, 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 I will be beat up and broken with you. I will stand in solidarity with you so that you are brought up into privilege and power. I must decrease, you must increase. Who's not at the table? Let's find a way to get there because it's the good news of the gospel message. And here's the thing. My guess is that there are some of us in this room right now for regardless of our place in life, our lot, our culture, whatever it may be, just personally, like personally within us, don't feel like we deserve a seat at the table. We feel like, you know what, I'm sort of glad the hierarchy's in place because I don't know if I deserve that kind of love. Or I don't know if I was really made to be loved that way. Or I don't love myself that way. Remember a few weeks ago, if you were here, I talked about the yeah buts. You're loved, yeah but. And we believe our yeah buts. Yeah, but I've done this or I've done that. The truth of the matter is when Paul writes this, Paul is not saying, well, pretty soon you're going to have a seat at the table once you get it together. Or pretty soon, as soon as people in power figure it out. No, what Paul's saying is you already have a seat there. Because of Christ, because of Christ walking with us, because of Christ's death and resurrection, the seat is there for us already. And the only thing stopping us from being there is the fact that we don't believe it. The only thing stopping us is the fact that we don't believe that we are, have been loved and that we have been cared for and that we have been affirmed and we have been called to flourish. Uh, that's the only thing stopping us from sitting at that table. So what do we do? Well, here's my prayer. My prayer is that for those of us who don't believe we deserve that seat, that you just hear the good news today. And the good news today is that seat's been waiting for you this whole time. God says, I love you so much that I send my son, and my son, who has all the power in the world, gives all that power up for you and decides for you to die for you and then is resurrected to show you that you have been in God's care and God's arms all along. Maybe that's the good news for some of you today. Church, I think for some of us, the good news today is for us to give up some of our power. We must decrease so that others can increase, and we need to start asking ourselves, who does not have a seat at the table? Maybe the good news is we get to go outside of these doors and live that out and say, I see this happening, and I'm going to repent. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to work to change this and stand alongside others so that they are brought up. And maybe for people like me, I think the one thing I want to continue to do, I've confessed to you before, I've used my power in ways that aren't fulfilling, that don't help the kingdom. So what I'm going to continue to do is to lessen that. Instead of making decisions to say, somebody make this outside of me. You're better than this at me. Or to say, I'm going to stop and not talk. I'm going to listen. Or I'm going to ask where my blind spots are. I'm going to do whatever it is I need to do to make sure that I'm bringing people to a place of power, to a seat at the table. It's the good news of the gospel. And what I hope is I hope our church takes this on so much. I hope that our church embodies this in such a way that it is absolutely radical and it's absolutely progressive and ridiculous and we get to be called heretics too, just like Paul. That's my hope. And we do it. We do it because it's been done for us first. It's the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's live and embody it today. Amen?
Heavenly Father, thank you for, for leveling, leveling the hierarchy, asking us to submit to one another. Thank you for, thank you for telling us that, that, that we're all one in Jesus Christ. And Lord, when we see that not happening, whether it be in gender or culture or ethnicity or however, Lord, um, give us the power and the spirit to change that, uh, to work to bring your kingdom here to this earth. Allow us to be light. Allow us to be the ones who offer seats at the table over and over again. Show grace when we forget. Pray this in your name. Amen.